Well, welcome to the hills and good morning. Now, if you're watching online, it may not be morning where you are, but thank you for joining us. If you're at South Lake Campus, uh, West Fort Worth Campus, or Interage Campus in person, I'm thankful that you are here too. For wherever you are, it's important to me that you think it's important to start your week lifting up Jesus. So thank you for joining us today. Now, this is my second favorite Sunday of the year. Easter Sunday is my favorite Sunday. But Fallback Sunday is my second favorite. Because everybody has an hour extra sleep. Everyone is more rested so I can preach longer and everyone loves the idea, right? So you are in luck today. I'm going to preach two sermons. And here's the first. So we're going to have elections. The last votes will be cast on Tuesday. I hope we can wake up Wednesday morning and know from the lowest to the highest office who the winners are. What I know is there's a lot of uncertainty in our nation right now. And as followers of Jesus, I want to remind you of four things. Number one, we should be thankful that we live in this country. If you haven't voted, I encourage you to do that. And I encourage you to take some time this week and just thank God for the freedoms you enjoy in this country. We get to choose our leaders. If we don't like them, we get to choose new ones. There will be a peaceful transfer of power in the most powerful nation on earth. That is not a thing to take lightly. So be grateful that we live in this country. Second, the scripture is clear. We are to pray for our leaders, not just the leaders we like, not just the leaders we voted for. We are to pray for our leaders, that they will govern wisely so that we will have a climate so that the church can flourish. God will hold our leaders accountable for how they govern. God will hold us accountable to pray for them. The third thing I would say, across this country and across this church, people are going to vote. They're going to vote their Christian conscience and they may not vote like you voted. So hear the words of Brother Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Above all else, love one another deeply. I'm pretty sure the Holy Spirit meant for that to be non-negotiable. And then the last thing. Jesus is on the throne. He is not abdicating he cannot be moved out of his office. The Bible is clear. The empires of men come and go, but the kingdom of God is eternal. So this week, remember that your true citizenship is in heaven and live like it. Okay, good news. First sermon is over. Bad news, second sermon is going to be a lot longer. So we're in a series called, That Is Who You Are. We're celebrating some of God's most awesome attributes. That He is a way maker and a miracle worker. Next week, we'll talk about how God is a light in the darkness. A great word to hear just before harvest offering. But today, we want to focus on God as promise Keeper, because as we've said, the single most important thing about you is what do you think of God? Is your God a promise 
keeper. Now, here's the thing. We live in a culture that has caused us to be skeptical of promises. We go through a political season every two and four years where people make all kinds of promises that we know they're not going to deliver on. We see every day thousands of commercials pitching products that we know simply cannot deliver everything they're telling us they will do for us if we buy the product. Or perhaps at a personal level, you've been really hurt by somebody that broke a big promise, and now it's just hard for you to trust people. Have you ever felt that way about the promise of God? And if you have, you've got company. There are people in the Bible that struggle to believe the promises of God. Like, for example, Abraham and Sarah. Now, they're old. They're past the age that they can have kids. And God said, you're going to have a baby boy. And it says in Genesis 17 that Abraham laughed. In Genesis 18, it says that Sarah laughed. And it wasn't a, ha, great laugh. It was a, yeah, right, kind of laugh. They laughed at the promise of God. They laughed at the thought of a birth being covered by Medicare. They laughed at the idea of getting kids' meals and senior discounts at the same restaurant. They laughed at the thought of going to Walmart to get Pampers and Depends on the same trip. I mean, they laughed. It's not always easy to be full of faith in the faithfulness of God. But remember, the most important thing about you is what you think of God. So even when you can't see it, and even when you can't feel it, do you affirm, like the psalmist, the Lord is trustworthy in all He promises? Here's the big idea this week, and I want to put it in the form of a question. Do we believe the God we believe in? They're not the same thing. You can believe that there is a God, that He exists, but not actually believe Him. Let me illustrate this way. So this year, because of the pandemic, we all had to cancel trips, vacations, places we really wanted to go, and we had to put it on hold. Well, you're in luck. There's a company out of Nebraska called Fake a Vacation. And for as little as $19.99, they can take your pictures, and they can put you in front of uh, Disney World or the Grand Canyon or Hawaii. They even give you a packet of facts about that place that you didn't go to so that you can talk like you know all about it. So that you can go on social media and pretend you went somewhere you didn't actually go. Fake faith is the same way. Because when faith is real, you go places in view of the promises of God. But fake faith never actually leaves. It never actually steps out. It it believes in God. But it doesn't go where faith would take you if you actually believed God. Now this is why the story of Abraham is so important. So here he is in Mesopotamia. He's a worshiper of idols. He's old and past the point that he can be a dad. And God calls out to him in Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. 
Now, I will make you into a great nation. Well, how are you going to do that if I don't have a child? I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, throughout the Bible, when God wants to say to people, this is how you get right with me, he uses Abraham. Because in that passage are two key words to what it means to get right with God. And the words are promise and faith. Now, promise is God's will and God's power and God's capacity to create a new future where there has only been a barren past. God's promise says, I can create the world that you long for and that you want. Faith is the capacity to embrace and to act on that announced future with such passion that you move in that direction. Now, that's so big, I want to say that again. Promise is God saying, here is the future I can create for you. And faith is the capacity to say, I believe you so much, I'm not staying where I am anymore. I'm making the trip in the direction of that future. For Abraham, that would mean leaving his family and leaving his country, leaving, living constantly on the move, not giving up hope when it felt like the promise wouldn't be kept. And you can read about his life in the book of Genesis. And it wasn't easy. And yes, he had some stumbles on his faith journey. But he kept getting back up and moving in the direction of the promise. He kept deciding to believe the God that he believed in. And it comes to a big point in Genesis 15. Still no babies. They've lived now in this land for a long time. God takes him outside and says, look up. Can you count the stars? Because that's how many descendants you're going to have from your body. And it says, Abram believed the Lord. And the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. And that might be the most important doctrinal verse in the Bible. It's used several times in the New Testament. How do you get right with God? Believe him. Move in the direction of the future he's promised. And he will credit that faith with the righteousness of Christ. Now Abraham's faith was flawed, but it wasn't fake. He structured his life around the faithfulness of God. He just kept on believing that every promise God made will be kept. My God, that is who you are. Now the most important thing about you is what you think of God. Is your God a promise keeper? Because if you really believe God, some important things are going to happen, and here's the first. It will motivate obedience. When you believe God, you don't fake the trip. You make the trip. God's promises are meant to be pursued. So here's what it meant for Abraham, Hebrews 11. 
It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and to go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Now, obedience is easy when God gives you a schedule and lets you know everything's going to happen, this and then this and then this. But that's not usually what God does. Often we don't want to even move until God makes it clear what's going to happen if we do. But the reality is what God often does is give you a very specific promise. And then he doesn't give you very specific details about what it's going to be like on the way there. It says, Abraham went without knowing where he was going. He obeyed without a lot of details. A man came up to Mother Teresa one time and said, Would you pray that God would give me clarity? And she said, No. But I will pray that God will give you trust. It's a lot more important. As Martin Luther King put it, Faith is taking the first step even when you do not see the whole staircase. So Abraham says, I don't know where I'm supposed to stop. I just know I'm supposed to go. So I'm going to go, and when it's time to stop, God will let me know. He, he may have wondered where, but he didn't wonder if. God has made a promise, and I'm going to move in the direction of that promise because I believe him. He ordered his life around the conviction that the promise maker was a promise keeper. Now listen folks, that's where we live. We're called to be like Abraham. We all live in this space between the promises God has made, but we haven't received all the promises yet. Are we going to live like people that believe God, not just believe in God? It's the young couple on a tight budget that decides we're going to start tithing. Because God says in his word, bring the tithe to me and I'll pour out so much blessing your barn can't hold it. It's it's the young single person who says, I am going to live sexually pure in a culture that mocks my value. Because God has said that your purity creates intimacy with me and it's the best possible way for your life to flourish. I'm going to move in the direction of the promise. It's the the brother with the addiction who says, I'm tired of this. I'm going to confess. I'm going to get help. Because God has promised freedom for people who are tired of living in the far country. It's the person that got terribly treated by someone. And everything in them wants to strike back and hate. And yet Jesus says, good overcomes evil. Love and forgive. And you move in the direction of the God that you believe, not just the God you believe in. So there was, in the life of Jesus, a uh, Gentile officer whose son was very, very sick. Now, Jesus is 20 miles away. This guy's desperate. He says to his wife, I'm going to go find that rabbi that does the miracles I heard about. He leaves his dying son to go find that man. And he finds Jesus and says, would you come back and heal my son? And then Jesus puts him in that tension. Here's what Jesus said. You go, your son will live. Now stop right there. Go. I'm going to come back and not have you with me? 
That was the whole reason my wife gave me permission to leave. Go. Look what it says. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. He decided to believe. He moved in the direction of the promise. On the way back, servants came and said, the fever broke. Your son is okay. What time did the fever break? And he realized the same exact moment that Jesus said, your son will live. Do you know Jesus never said, accept me? That's modern popular religion. Jesus said, follow me. Accept me is for people that just want to believe in Jesus. Follow me is for people that intend to believe Jesus. To believe God is to start a journey that you believe will be worth it. Even when it's hard, you keep going because if God is a promise keeper, it strengthens resilience. You see, it's just easy to grow accustomed to barrenness, isn't it? It's easy to get used to a future that seems to have no hope. Our marriage will never get better. My finances will never get better. My addiction will never go away. Our prodigal child will never come home. It's a struggle to keep believing God when the things that you're hoping for never seem to come. Just like Abraham and Sarah, month after month after month, a constant reminder, no baby. And what you have to decide, am I going to order my life around the sameness of my present circumstances? Or am I going to order my life around the faithfulness of a promise-making God? Let me get personal for a moment. Now, I have probably been at this church more, longer than 95% of the people in it today. So only a few of you remember that when I came to this church years ago, this church had a horrific debt crisis. When I mean horrific, I mean on the verge of declaring bankruptcy crisis. I knew that. I sought the counsel of wise people about whether or not I should make the questionable decision to come to church in that kind of mess. Everyone I spoke to said, don't go. That would be crazy. I remember I just felt I should pray about it. I'm praying hard about it, and I'm saying, Lord, I need a sign. If, if, if I'm supposed to go, I need some sense you're with me in this. Now, I don't know how to explain this. Some of you are going to think I'm weird. It had never happened to me before. I, in that moment, felt a physical sensation. It was like a wonderful, warm blanket came around my shoulders and went all the way down to my feet. And in that moment, I knew God was saying, you go, and I'll be with you. Those next five years were hard, hard years. There was no money. I didn't get a raise. I got three little kids, and we're scraping by. I never once thought, well, I'm going to go back to the country I came from. It was easier there. Because God had made a promise. And that promise gave me resilience when I needed it. It's what it did for Sarah, month after month of no baby. But it says in Hebrews 11, it was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old, she believed God would keep his promise. See, God doesn't just predict the future. God creates the future. 
And so when barrenness seems to be in charge, what you need to do is fill your heart and your mind with the truth of God. Because the most important thing about you is what you think of God. Fill your heart and your mind with His promises. Look at Psalm 91. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust Him. For He will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with His feathers. He will shelter you with His wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. I love that metaphor. That I am protected and armed with the promises of God. Psalm 145 says, The Lord always keeps His promises. He's gracious in all He does. The Lord helps the fallen and lifts those bent beneath their loads. When the children of Israel are in captivity and Jerusalem is in ruins, God sent encouragement through the prophet Jeremiah to the people. He said in Lamentations 3, The Lord Yet I still dared hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in Him. You see, the Bible is full of words of encouragement like this. When you're stuck in that place where it just feels barren and it feels like the future isn't coming. Fill your heart and your mind with God's promises. One more, 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 3. The Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. And so do you feel like your faith tank is leaking a little bit lately? Has this year just kind of sucked some of the faith out of your faith tank? Be proactive. Move in the direction. Fill your heart and your mind with the promises of God. And by the way, God asks for bold faith. But God doesn't ask for blind faith. Every time you see a rainbow with the sky, God is whispering, I keep my promises. Jesus said every time you see a flower blooming, God is saying, I'm faithful. Every time you see a sparrow flying in the sky, God is whispering, I take care like I said I would. Every morning when that sun comes up, it declares the faithfulness of God. Every week when we take bread and we take wine, God is whispering, I promised you a Savior. And I kept my word. You see, it keeps us going, not trudging. I'm not trudging in the direction of the promise. I'm walking boldly in the direction of the promise. Because a promise-making God inspires confidence. The conviction about the future brings great courage to the present. Isn't that true? When you're absolutely convinced about what the future can be, doesn't it give you strength in the present moment? Abraham spent the rest of his life embracing a future reality as a present encouragement. 
It says in uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews, he was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. This guy lived in that land for years. He never owned a square inch. But he was confident of his future. He was confident of his inheritance. And that confidence was never more clearly revealed than when God asked him to sacrifice his own son, Isaac. Now, you can read about that in Genesis 22. God says, take your son Isaac up to the mountain and offer him to me. What? Isaac is the son of promise. You said, all my descendants are going to come through him. How can you keep your promise and take back the promise? That's what he's wrestling with. Now remember, the most important thing about you, what do you think of God? And we get a clue into what Abraham thought because it says in Hebrews 11, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing them. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned. That if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. Like, did you get what I just read? You say, well, people come back from the dead in the Bible. Not to this point. To this point in Genesis, nobody has ever come back from the dead. Do you see what he thought about God? I don't get it. But if God said through this boy, I'm going to have a lot of descendants. So the best I can figure is if this boy dies, God's going to give him back. That's what he thought of God because he knew God as promise keeper. He came through the test because he knew God will come through. Because his hope was never in Isaac. His hope was in I am. And yours should be too. Especially when the accuser shows up. There's an enemy out there. He will do everything he can to mess up and jack up what you think about God. He'll do everything he can to get you to doubt the promises of God. Especially your salvation. Now you've heard him. He's good at what he does. He whispers. Are you kidding me? You think God doesn't know about your college years? You think God doesn't know about that secret sin you're still wrestling with? You think God doesn't know about all the screw-ups in your life? You know what you need to do? You need to remind the enemy of the faithfulness of God. That my hope for my future salvation does not depend on how hard I can hold on to God. It depends on how well God can hold on to me. That my future depends on His keeping His promise. Look at 1 Corinthians with me. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this. For he is faithful to do what he says. And he has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Man, doesn't that encourage your heart? 
God's going to do it. God is going to present you without blame on the day Jesus returns. He's going to do what he said. He's a promise keeper. That's why I have hope. That's why I tell the enemy to get lost and rebuke him. Jude 24, now all glory to God who's able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. My God, that is who you are. That's what I think about God. Let me show you this picture. His name is Bill Irwin. He's a hiker. He hiked the Appalachian Trail back in 1990, all the way from Georgia to Maine, 2,100 miles. He wasn't the first person to do that. He did it without a compass or GPS or maps. He wasn't the first person to do that. He was the first person to do all that totally blind. Just his dog. Took him eight months. He battled hypothermia. He figures he fell 5,000 times. Broke ribs, body covered with scratches and bruises. But he got there. You will too. You are going to reach the promised land. Don't take my word for it. Take his. And so, some years ago, I got to speak in a place called Oshkosh, Wisconsin. It was in February. It was Brutal cold. And they had this beautiful lake outside the city, and it freezes over every winter three to four foot thick of ice. And these people up there, they get in their cars and they drive out on this lake real fast and they hit their brakes, and then a car spin around and skid across this ice. And these people think this is fun because their brains are frozen. And when I was there, they said, get in a car and let's go do that. And I said, there's no way I'm doing that. I am not getting on a lake in a car. Now, if I had, I would have been safe because the ice was thick. But every March, every April, somebody gets out on that lake. The ice has started to thaw. It cracks. They hop out and run to safety. And you know what happens to the car? It sinks by faith. Because here's the thing, more important than the amount of faith is the object of faith. So my word to you is put your faith in His faithfulness. The reason some of you are hurting right now, the reason some of you are skeptical about religion right now, the reason some of you are barely hanging on to Christianity right now. You put your faith in a church. Churches are just full of flawed sinners. You put your faith in a pastor. You put your faith in somebody in your family that proved to be not what they claimed. I'm sorry about all those things. But I know where the ice is thick. I know where you can put your full weight and never be disappointed. The faithfulness of God. I don't know who's going to be president when I wake up Wednesday morning. But I know I'm going to wake up to the same God Abraham 
woke up to. And so, believe the God you believe in. Start moving in the direction of what He's called you to do. And God has promised that you will have the last laugh. My God, that is who you are. So let's pray. And so God, it's very, very easy in the culture that we live in to settle for fake faith. Faith that asks nothing of us Faith that just lets us stay stuck. But God, we rebuke that kind of faith. We want a faith that takes us where believing you would take us. And so encourage our hearts. Holy Spirit, fill our thoughts with the words of the faithfulness of God. Help us believe the God we believe in. I want my legacy God to be. There's no way you could explain his life except he really did believe God. I pray that for all listening for the sake of Jesus. Amen.